In this first episode of our podcast series on lung cancer screening in Canada, we have two very special guests, Dr. Paul Wheatley-Price, an associate professor in the Department of Medicine at the University of Ottawa, and a medical oncologist at the Ottawa Hospital Cancer Centre, specialising in the treatment of thoracic malignancies and carcinoma of unknown primary. Since 2016, Dr. Wheatley-Price has previously served as President of Lung Cancer Canada. We are also joined by Dr. Jeffrey Habert, who is a general practitioner in Thornhill, Ontario, and an assistant professor in the Department of Family and Community Medicine at the University of Toronto. Please see the links in the podcast description for a list of current lung cancer screening programs. Hope you enjoy it. Dr. Wheatley-Price and Dr. Habert, and thanks so much for joining us virtually here in Toronto. And I had a first question for you both. In your opinion, what do you think are the greatest unmet needs for patients with lung cancer, and how important is early detection? Thanks for having us. It's a great question. I mean, certainly in primary care, lung cancer is one of the top four cancers we see. I think the most recent number is one in 15 of our patients will develop lung cancer. And what I'm seeing in primary care is when they get diagnosed, they're tending to be diagnosed at later stages. And I think the reason for that is we don't have a well-organized screening program for lung cancer. I mean, we can do spiral CTs at local hospitals, but they're not getting a lot of counseling pre and post. And if they find nodules, they throw it back to us. And recently, I've discovered that there are more organized screening programs, albeit not funded by the province where I can send my patients one such program locally would be the Princess Margaret Lung Cancer Screening Program. And and the benefit of a program like that is they're getting pre-test counseling and post-test counseling. So I find that very useful. Well, that's a a great response, uh, Dr. Hebert. And Dr. Wheatley-Price, did you have anything you'd like to add? Sure. Uh, You know, lung cancer, if I just give you some numbers, which really fall in line with what you've just heard. Lung cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer in Canada, about 30,000 cases this year. Uh, The big four, lung, colorectal, breast cancer, and prostate cancer, but lung kills more Canadians than those other three combined. Uh, And it's because around 50% of cases are already stage four at diagnosis. Another 20 to 30% are at stage three, which, which has a low cure rate. You know, right off the bat, we we, do, we we have an uphill struggle. So the biggest unmet need is the most common cancer in Canada is commonly diagnosed at a late stage. And you can imagine that you can, I think, see the, the reasons for that. Breast cancer is, you know, it's easier to feel a lump. Colorectal cancer often provides symptoms or causes the symptoms from the original site early, but lung cancer doesn't. Uh, often it it's, has to grow to a very large size or metastasize before those symptoms emerge. And uh, maybe uh, for you, Dr. Wheatley-Price, could you talk a little bit about uh, what has changed really in the treatment of lung cancer and has treatment improved? Is there any hope there? Yes, there is tremendous hope. There have been not unreasonable to say a revolution in lung cancer treatments over the past decade. Uh, Three things really that have made or have the potential to make the biggest difference. The first one is what we call targeted therapies. That's the idea that we can essentially do a genetic fingerprint of the lung cancer and we identify now in maybe a quarter, possibly up to a third of cases soon, what we call an oncogenic driver mutation, or basically a single genetic abnormality that, that drives the cancer to progress. 
and we can target those mutations with targeted therapies, oral therapies usually that are not a cure, but can really uh, control the cancer for much longer periods of time, in some cases many years than we ever used to be able to do. So targeted therapy, a big advance. Immunotherapy is the, the other big advance in the last maybe five or six years. These are generally intravenous drugs that stimulate the body's own um, immune system, T-cells in particular, to, to ramp up and activate and destroy the cancer. And the third one, which we're going to talk about, is lung cancer screening, um, which has the potential to, uh, instead of having 75% of people diagnosed at stage three or four, have at least those who go through screening, 75% diagnosed at stage one or two. And um, Dr. Habert mentioned the, the Princess Margaret, which was part of the Ontario high-risk lung screening pilot program, which which thankfully earlier this year has been now changed to the Ontario lung screening program, uh, which is so instead of a pilot, it's now a program that we'll, we need to push for this now, but should roll out across the province. And uh, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about why screening and early detection is important. Uh, Dr. Habert, if you, if you wanted to respond there. 10 years ago or 15 years ago, when patients were diagnosed with lung cancer, it was very ominous and they were dying quickly. And I'm not seeing that now. I'm not going to say it's become a chronic illness, but certainly they're living noticeably a lot longer than they did. And, and I think a lot of that is from the new therapies, like the targeted therapies and the immunotherapy, but maybe we're just starting to catch them a little bit earlier, and certainly that will help dramatically. So I know that there's been a few studies, the Nelson and the NLST studies in particular. For either of you, if you wanted to discuss those studies and, and what really we learned from the results. Sure, I can, I can take that question. Um, so the NLST, or the National Lung Screening Trial, was a, a US-based trial. Actually, this was published in the New England Journal a decade ago now, 2011. And uh, what happened in, in that study was uh, as in the Nelson study, which was which was based in uh, Belgium and Holland, you um, enroll not patients because they've not got a diagnosis. So you're enrolling participants who are considered at high risk for diagnosing lung cancer. Um, and criteria slightly different between the trials, but essentially it's those at high risk risk are those who have had tobacco exposure and uh, an, an age range. So for the NLST, uh, the age range was 55 to 74, um, with a, about a 20-pack year smoking history. And they were randomized to either receive CT scan with a low-dose CT scan. So um, a low-dose CT scan just means low radiation exposure or a chest X-ray. And then what happened, you then follow these individuals and see who does or doesn't develop lung cancer. And um, what they found was a significant reduction in lung cancer deaths because of more detection of lung cancer in the CT group and a relative reduction in lung cancer mortality in the low-dose CT screening group of 20%. Specifically in numbers in the, in the, in the screening group, 247 lung cancer deaths per 100,000 people years compared to 309 deaths per 100,000 people years in the in the radiology uh, chest x-ray only group. The NLST was, if you like, the confirmatory trial. Um, and this was Belgium and Holland, about 14,000, just over 13,000 men, um, far fewer women, actually, about 2,500 women uh, between 50 and 74, again, with tobacco exposure 
and they had um, CT screening. And in fact, what they found was that the reduction in in death was was even more dramatic, particularly in women. Actually, uh, so um, the the hazard ratio or the was six point six seven. So so that means thirty three percent reduction in the risk of death for women. So uh, you know we have these two big studies now that both show that um, a low dose CT scan in an at-risk population will significantly reduce the risk of lung cancer death. And we often think about a concept of the number needed to screen, like how many people in the population would you need to screen to save a life? For lung cancer screening, it looks like it's in the two to 300 range. Uh, that's fewer than we see with breast cancer screening, for example. So it certainly seems that this is going to be uh, an effective thing. Ontario agreed, hence opening the Ontario Lung Screening Program. British Columbia actually was the first province to announce a screening program back in uh, the sort of fourth quarter of uh, 2020. Their program should be opening next year. And uh, just in June of this year, Quebec has now started a, a program across eight sites in Quebec. Is it similar to the program's 30-pack years of exposure? Uh, well, I mean, maybe this is a good uh, question to highlight Canadian leadership in this area. Uh, there was the pan-Canadian lung cancer screening trial, much smaller numbers, led by Dr. Stephen Lamb from British Columbia and uh, Dr. Martin Tamamagi, who's a, an epidemiologist in uh, St. Catharines at Brock. University. And what they've done is, is developed a, a more nuanced eligibility. Uh, so the NLST and Nelson were pretty much age and a pack year smoking history. Uh, and what um, Martin Tamamagi has, has done is develop a new model, which brings in some other factors that we know can be associated with lung cancer. So, and, and the different factors are weighted. Uh, it includes body mass index, uh, educational level, and certain other factors associated with lung cancer. So there, it's a, a bit more effective, actually. So you, you, you get a higher yield for, for, for screening. But I wonder how so that, we disseminate that to primary care. Like I know there's that lung cancer um, risk calculator. So that's what, how do we yeah. disseminate that so primary care knows who to screen? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that's going to be probably the most important next step as these programs uh, roll out. I'm involved with uh, a national lung cancer group, Lung Cancer Canada. Uh, we're also talking with CPAC, Canadian Partnership Against Cancer, that have really had a, a lovely long history of pushing for lung cancer screening. Uh, in fact, in their national cancer strategy, this was one of the highlighted points. So, uh, you know, education, I think, is going to be the key here so that family doctors know e exactly that, you know, if you've got a certain pack year history in a certain age range, all of those people really should be considered uh, to, to plug into to the calculator to make it as easy as possible. It's not a huge burden on on you guys to to have to figure this out. Um, maybe I could throw the question back to you. I mean, how easy is it for you to identify people for colorectal screening or, or, or breast yeah, screening yeah. programs? And and that's a, a great question. That's exactly what I was just thinking. It's so easy because in my mind, I know every woman over the age of fifty gets a mammogram every two years, and I also know that every Canadian over the age of fifty gets colorectal screening, whether it's colonoscopy or fit testing over the age of 50, but it's very definitive in my head. Whereas for lung cancer, it's not as definitive. Is it 55 and 30 pack years? Is it the calculator? 
So if we can clarify that and give primary care a specific number to keep in their head, preventative screening is one of the most important things we do in Canada. So that will be much easier to do if we get definitive numbers. Yeah, so you're right. And and that's where a very clear educational plan needs to come out. We, we've started actually just very preliminary discussing with some of the people at the Royal College for Family Physicians on, on what that might look like. And one of the reasons you can imagine it's really important is if, if we look south of the border, not always the greatest idea to compare Canadian and US healthcare systems, but um, lung cancer screening has been available in the in the US for a few years now, but the uptake has not been there. And, and, and it's really a, a small percentage of the potentially eligible participants who've actually gone for screening. So we have to be wary of that in Canada. And I think the other challenge that we have in Canada, not unique to Canada, of course, but is um, equity. And uh, the Canadian Partnership Against Cancer, or CPAC, did produce a report last year around lung cancer and equity and, and people in rural areas, people with lower socioeconomic groups, First Nations, Métis, Inuit, lots of groups in our society that have poorer outcomes from lung cancer. I agree. And I, and I have to say in primary care, and so I'm, I'm trying to actively screen out for lung cancer. And my uptake for breast colorectal is so much better than lung because a lot of my smokers are what I call happy smokers. They don't want to know they're happy smoking. They realize there may be a risk, but they have no interest in screening. There's a lot of cultural and societal changes, which right. which hopefully will will start to move as as programs become established. I think you're right. And I think it's I'm finding much bigger uptake in my ex-smokers or the ones that have developed another smoking-related incident, like they may have had an MI or they quit smoking three years ago or whatever the case is. It's, I'm finding it much easier for me to sell them on this screening program than it is on the current happy smokers. Anecdotally, I think we're seeing people who enter the screening pilot programs do that, like you say, because there's been some other incident. It, it's not just having had tobacco exposure. It, it's that plus something else, either in their own health or in the health of someone they know. And, and what are the factors that you would recommend to GPs just to even begin the conversation? If you have somebody between the age of 50 and 74, um, in the US that's extended up to the age 80 now, with at least a 20-pack year smoking history, then you know those are the kinds of people at, at a minimum who should be in your mind. Um, now, it may be that not all of those would ultimately either be eligible or choose to take part in a screening program, but but that would be a fairly reasonable broad net to start with. And that's great guidance for primary care as a broad stroke. And the other thing I think primary care will realize, it's not going to be as onerous as breast or colorectal screening where we do it for all those over 50. This is a very small percentage. I mean, you're looking at 15 to 20% of the population over 50, as opposed to 100% or 50%, sorry, with breast or or 100% with colorectal. So it's a much smaller percentage of the population that we have to target. Yeah, and the other thing about that is the importance of lung screening. Uh, I think if we're talking about giving advice to, to primary care is, is lung screening really should happen through a program. It shouldn't be something that as family docs, you feel you'd have to take on the responsibility of that because 
if you just refer someone for a CT, first, they won't get a low-dose CT necessarily. They might get a full radiation exposure. But secondly, you know, the type of individuals who are eligible for screening programs, because they've had tobacco exposure, they there's a high chance that there'll be something on their scan. There's only a low chance it'll be lung cancer, but there's a high chance that there'll be something, primarily pulmonary nodules of of uncertain significance that might end up being benign. And I can, I'm not a family doctor, I'm an oncologist, but I can imagine if I was a family doctor, I wouldn't want to have a whole lot of scan reports coming back to me with nodules and no guidance of what then to do with that. So that's the importance of the program that Again, you know, Dr. Tamamagi and Dr. Stephen Lamb and the, the Canadian group have really they published on management of nodules in, in the New England Journal in, in a screening context. So it, it's having a, a system, and there is a system that if there's a nodule that's a certain size, okay, that's at risk, go and get a biopsy. If it's a slightly smaller size, okay, it, that's, that means a repeat CT scan in three months or different criteria, repeat CT scan in six months or 12 months. But those are built into the system. So the program will take care of that for you. I agree 100%. I mean, that's exactly my experience. Before I started using the Princess Margaret program, my community hospitals were offering low-dose spiral CT. So you'd order it on a requisition, they'd get it. Invariably, it would come back with nodules, and it would say repeat in 6 to 12 months. And I felt like, oh, my God, what am I going to do with this? And you're absolutely right, Paul. So often the reports would come back saying repeat, and I felt, oh my God, I was getting these patients on a spiral CT train that they were never going to get off, and I wasn't even equipped to understand what I was seeing on the reports, and that's changed so dramatically since I've started using a real organized lung cancer screening program where they get counseling before and after the test, so patient satisfaction and physician satisfaction has gone up a hundredfold. And that counseling that you mentioned includes smoking cessation. Um, you mentioned that, you know, maybe that your know, happy smokers might not go for screening and it's more ex-smokers where obviously cessation has already been achieved. But for those active smokers, the smoking cessation means that a lung cancer screening program has the potential to offer benefits beyond just early detection of lung cancer. And so all cause mortality uh, can be improved by helping people to quit. This will become a thing in primary care the same way pap smears, mammograms, colorectal screening are. It will become a thing, especially once it becomes a a provincial program. We have preventative care target reports uh, that we see. Once they add lung cancer screening to that, dissemination of this will be much greater. But I promise you in the next few years, we will think of this exactly the same way we think of our past fears, mammograms, and colorectal screening. I'm actually curious about how the two of you uh, personally got involved in, in all of this. The reason I got involved is is um, I, I was um, recently uh, stepped down, but it was president of Lung Cancer Canada for many years. And Dr. Stephanie Snow from Halifax is now is taken over about a month ago. Um, but it, it was our number one advocacy ask at Lung Cancer Canada is is access to screening. So I got involved through that because I think we clearly see that for the most common cancer in the country, this is the single most impactful intervention if we want to save lives. I mean, in my case, I'm, I spend a lot of my time in primary care education, a significant part of my life. And uh, about a year ago, I was asked to 
participate a program on lung cancer basics for primary care, talking about the new therapies that Paul mentioned. And while we were creating this program, I was shocked that there was no focus on screening. And so we went down that road of screening and we had some experts on the panel. Uh, so we actually added, I think, four or five slides on screening. And when this program was disseminated, that was the most interesting part of the program for primary care. Like, oh my God, tell us about these screening programs. And we were actually giving contacts for the screening programs locally, the few that were available at the time a year ago. Uh, so that's how I got involved. So how, how can we raise the awareness for GPs as to the existence of these programs and the need for screening? Interest is really, really high for preventative care and primary care. And this is low-hanging fruit because we've never really had anything. Once this information is disseminated, it will be adopted quickly, I promise you, because it's such an interest of all primary care in terms of preventative care, because that's a big chunk of what we do. And we're good at doing that for the existing programs. And I know there's there's just a few of these programs that exist right now, but how can more of them be developed and what are the steps to start such a program? So I, I think um, we are probably at the tipping point now. If you if you asked me this six months ago, we were a bit worried that BC was the only province or, you know, 12 months ago, no provinces had done this and Ontario was the only province at that time that had a, an active pilot program. But now uh, BC's announced, Ontario has, well, they've made the announcement of transitioning from the pilot to the program, but that now needs to pick up speed and they need to open those appropriate centers. Quebec has now announced their um, eight center uh, program, which hopefully will expand. So I think we've probably reached the tipping point with the two big provinces moving. And I suspect that it'll just be a matter of time before we see you know, Alberta, Saskatchewan, et cetera, um, you know, moved into programs. There are challenges. I, I think Nunavut, to me, uh, is a big challenge. The Inuit have uh, among the highest lung cancer rates anywhere in the world, approximately four times that of the rest of the Canadian population. There is one CT scanner in Iqaluit and, you know, very remote communities. So the challenges for me are going to be addressing screening with equity and how do we reach really these at-risk and more vulnerable populations. Yeah, and, and where do you see the, the future of lung cancer screening ideally? I mean, for me, as I mentioned, I think it will become as commonplace as the other screening programs we have now, uh, whether it's cervical cancer, breast cancer, colorectal cancer, it will be another one that we just screen for matter-of-factly. That would be the big dream, but I, I don't think that's far off now. We see it's coming we, we like screening. We love catching disease early. That's what we do. So I, I think this is going to work out very, very well. And just what are your key takeaways for G GPs in uh, identifying and referring patients and anything else that either of you would like to add? Well, my, my message to GPs would be, you know, lung cancer screening, if not already here in your province, it is coming. And so, you know, just take a take a minute or two to find out what's available in your province and the referral criteria. And then, and then we just get going. And, and I think Jeff's right. We're, we've reached the tipping point and, you know, maybe you should invite us back in five years or so and 
and we can we can see. I mean, it, it's a really important time to be doing this. You know, Canadian population is aging, and while overall tobacco usage is is dropping right now, lung cancer incidence is in rural numbers is still increasing uh, because of the aging and growing population that we have. So this this is a like a prime time to be uh, starting a program like this, and and I, I'm also optimistic that in a few years we'll see um, lung cancer rates falling, but this stage mix of changing. So instead of a minority diagnosed at an early stage, it'll be a majority. And I I think because we may not have specifics for every community at this point, I mean, just out of interest right before this, I did a quick Google Ontario lung screening program. And the second hit is exactly what Paul just mentioned. So it's out there. It's a quick Google. Ontario Lung Screening Program, Quebec Lung Screening Program, your first or second hit is all the information you need, but we need to disseminate the fact that that is becoming more widely available. Well, some excellent points and uh, a really informative episode from from both of you. So thank you both so much for participating and uh, I hope to see you again soon. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Anna.